But, but you tell me how many people take the shortcut to response and do the hard work to prep for that first response. I got to tell you, I know the people, you know what I learned about the people who take shortcuts? You know what they do at every step along the path? Take shortcuts. They take shortcuts, right? Hello, everyone. This is Ellen, the producer of The Black Line Between Sales and Marketing with Doug Davidoff, CEO of Imagine Business Development and Mike Donnelly, CEO of Seven Cents. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Black Line Podcast. Mike, how you doing today? Good, man. How are you? I am. I'm good. I'm a little. Uh, I'm a little disappointed. My my gnats are. Um, whoa, whoa! Geez. Not your gnats. Our gnats. Oh, I bought them. You didn't know? That? Oh, you bought? Oh, I didn't. Uh, no, I didn't. Yeah. Pretty things good. Killer. Yeah. Th- th- things have been good. Things have been good. Yeah. No, they're not. They're not. They're not doing so well. So uh, my yeah. title town hopes are are on hold. So let's talk about something that's maybe a little bit more um, pleasant for me than than the underperformance of my of the team that I choose to root for. So I'm gonna file this under beware of people who promise that they manufacture antiques. Now I, I got to give credit. That's actually a quote I got from Jim Rohn years ago. He said, "Beware of people who say they manufacture antiques." And if we think about it, that in so many ways on, on I, I think, especially on the marketing side, but, but growing on the sales side, um, the entire MarTech and sales tech space is built on this promise of manufacturing antiques. What do you think about that, Mike? Uh, that is an incredible statement. Right. It, it's like it's, it's, a, it's a big problem, man. So I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna lead off with 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 um with two interesting stories here. We'll break each one down. Um, I am going to at this point protect the guilty. I'm not going to talk about the companies today um, or or the specifics, but I'm I'm going to share this um, from a general um, and overall perspective. Alrighty. So item number one. Um, and, and a lot of this all falls under right now, where I, at least the first two things I'm going to hit on is, is this bullshit around AI. And I know, Mike, I know you don't really know a lot about AI, um, but um, I'll, no, send you, no. I'll, send you, I'll send you a brief on it. Yeah, thanks. For, for, for those, <laughs> I'm, Googling, I'm Googling it right now just to make yeah, sure you, I... You uh, might, um, yeah. Actually, uh, HubSpot just came out with a really nice primer on uh, the, you know, the difference between AI and machine learning as I like to say, artificial intelligence, I put aspartame in my coffee, I drink it, and now I have artificial intelligence. Yep. Uh, for those of you that don't know that are listening in all candor, um, Mike, who is the CEO of 7th Sense, a email deliverability, send time optimization tool, um, has, I mean, frankly, one of the legitimate AI tools available to the small mid-market space. There, there's some legitimate AI stuff that's happening um, way up high. And of course, what no one talks about, I'm going to get off on a horrible tangent right off the bat. You know, what no one talks about is even most of the AI at the high level, what, what no one is talking about is the manual human talent that's operating behind the AI to make the AI actually work from a, a marketing and sales execution standpoint. But we'll save that for another day. 
Uh, but I give Mike. Um, but that because. But, that, but thank you for the kudos. But that that is absolutely accurate. There, there is a lot of AI tech that, that there is manual involvement in the back end. And 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 so the first thing I'm going to talk about is these these new tools that are out there that are promising to use AI to generate your emails, and they promise that that they go out and they um, they break down your your target markets. Um, social profile, they look at their posts, they scan the internet, um, pull things together to personalize and contextualize at scale your emails. And, and you know, we, it, it, the promise is going back to the day when people used to actually do real research or actually come across something and you'd read a blog by somebody and you go, oh my God, that's great. And you would send, you know, a genuine email. Um, around that and and what people found was genuine emails that 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 lead to direct personal things and, and implications and whatnot they they pull far better than than most of the dreck that is out there yep but they take time and you know what they take more than they take time there's two things that they take you want to guess what they are well it's time there's thought there's a lot of thought process that needs you got to think it, which is yep and you got to think, you got to think hard. Right. You got to think. I mean, I'll just keep thinking, right? Let's, we'll say thinking right. hard. I mean, I agree with you, but like, let's, right. I mean, how many people have stopped thinking in their roles? So you got to yep. think, like you really have to think. And then what, you know what the other um, component is? Hmm. You actually have to care. Yeah. Right. You know, what's the difference between a compliment and flattery? Authenticity. Right. If I compliment you, but I'm not being authentic in the compliment, then I'm flattering you. And we all know that the flattery may fool for a second, but it doesn't stand. So yep. that, that, by the way, is the reason I think that, that um, the real, you know, yeah, yeah, they take time. But I think the bigger reason that they don't, that they don't get done is because you have to think and you actually have to care. You have to be authentic. So, so what these companies have come out and done is they say, look, we can pump out thousands of emails a day. Um, replicating that that personal feel and and i'll tell you i've seen some of them that that do get my attention that, that, that did get my attention enough to um to give me an open emails but and, I, and i'm gonna and i'm gonna share um one with everybody in a second um that, that's just a you know a great example of of what we're going to talk about I, I i will say though that that you know two things it got the email open but it there was no depth there because I still think you can't take depth. Um, and even if it did get me to respond, um, I always say, you know, it's never good to start off with a lie. So you, know, if you say, hey, I read your post, blah, 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 and you didn't read my post and you don't even know I have a blog. God forbid, if I call you and say, oh yeah, hey, Mike, I, I'm, I'm glad you liked the blog. What, what'd you like about that? Uh, so anyway, <laughs> I got this email. You, um, should, you, should, you should do that more often. It'll be fun. So, so I got this email and um, I knew it was, I knew it was crap. Uh, and by the way, the other thing too, that, 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 that said for all this AI, they all use the exact same structure to an email. And you know, by the way, actually let's stop on that. Let's start, let's, let's pause there for a moment. I thought it was going to be a throwaway. Why do all of these AI email tools use the exact same structure? I'm interested in your thoughts. Because AI can't think structure. Yeah. 
right? You've got to give it the structure. It can then go out and, and, and it can do artificial intelligence. It can fill, it can fill, yeah, right, yep. But, but it's basically playing Mad Libs. Cause, and, and by the way, if you look at natural language processing, I mean, and I'm not talking about AI, I'm talking about NLP, the legitimate study of linguistics. It's all built around a pattern. You have to define the pattern. If you think about cryptology, if you think about all these things that, that, that really are the, the precursor to what we call AI today, um, if anyone saw, what was that movie? Um, I can't believe I can't remember. The movie that talked about, um, it, it was the first computer. They, they used it to crack the code with the Germans. Um, oh, the imitation game. Imitation game. Um, and if you remember, it didn't work until they found a, a, a pattern in the message. And then once they gave the computer the pattern, then it, then it could fill it out. Well, well, here's the reality. You and I have a pattern. We follow a neuro-linguistic programming and a linguistics device. There's no question about that. But we don't follow the pattern to a T. Right? It's like, uh, I'm going to pick on HubSpot because I, I can pick on HubSpot because I'm a huge fan of theirs. Right? right? It's like, if you, you remember four years ago before um, their new CMS became a real thing, you always knew when you were on a HubSpot site. Like, yeah, you, you and I have both used the tool where we can take a look at what the tech stack for the website is. Yeah, yeah. But, but back then, you didn't need it because you were like, okay, yeah, this you is- You already a, knew, right, right. Right, this is a HubSpot site. This is a Joomla site because they just, you know, they all had, had their exact same patterns. And so those, these AI tools, first off, they only impact a pattern, which is not actually the human pattern because we're always doing things that are- just that little bit off. So what begins to happen to anybody that matters, they get, I gotta get overwhelmed. The email volume that I get of these crap AI driven emails, they're all exactly the same. They're like three paragraphs, two sentences in the first paragraph, one sentence in the second paragraph, question in the third paragraph. I'm pretty sure 80% of them fit that, right? And so it's just, you know, now you just can't even deal with it. So this one came across and said, you know, congratulations, Doug, good job following up on my previous email. I'm like, okay, this is going to be a crappy email. I'm curious. <laughs> right. Cause anybody that knows me would never congratulate. Me. <laughs> what, what have I done? <clears throat> Hi Doug. I wanted to reach out to you as I have been following your recent published content pieces and notice we have similar interests in writing about Instagram. My team has worked hard to find good content and consolidate it into an infographic online that is easy to read and understand. And I won't read the rest. Now, do you know what the problem with this email is? Well, one, I didn't know you were such a big fan of Instagram. Do you, know, do you even know what Instagram is? Um, yeah, you take a picture and you put it on the line. <laughs> you put it on the line? On the line. Come on, man, that's interns. <laughs> right, that's Vince Vaughn. Yeah, they they did. It's called Instagram. AOL, I mean, not AOL. Facebook bought them for a billion dollars. See, we just created a billion dollar idea. Um, come on, I know Drew knows that one. Wait a second, we were we were on our back in a blender. Now we're saving the world. All right. Anyways, I don't think I have ever written. I know I have never written the a blog post Instagram. On Instagram. Maybe like years ago when one of our marketing, when one of my marketing people wrote something about like a primer guide, maybe we said something about Instagram, but we have never written about Instagram. 
right? I got one a few, um, uh, you know, a couple months ago, and, and it said something about the Baltimore Orioles. Now, I live in what's considered a Baltimore suburb, but I'm a Nationals fan. Um, and and well, fact, not only that, but this area is so transient that. Oh, right. But, and, and so it's like these things are, they're too cute by half. They, they fake. And so you send this stuff out and it just drips with inauthenticity. And so I asked the question, if they're so bad, why are so many people use them? And, and I think I know what the answer is, right? Well, the, I mean, the one question that I have is do they, I would love to know, do they even work? Like, do, do, do people actually get responses from these? I have been told by a couple of people who work at or run companies that, that do this, if they, their response rates are extraordinarily good. Now, I will preface this by saying they have not showed me the data. Um, and given so the good, good, approach, good could be maybe one out of every hundred responds. Um, um, it could be, you know, po- you know, we could be living in a post-factual, I know we live in a post-factual society. Um, no, I've been told that, that the response rates are pretty good, like really good. Um, I don't believe, like I'm pretty sure what the person told me was probably a little bit of an exaggeration. Um, but I don't believe the person the person was not in a position where outright lying to me and the nature of the conversation would have had any benefit to it. Yeah. Um, so, so here's, here's the problem though. Okay. Well, so, so the problem is, and the only, me- so what do they solve for here? What's the measurement of success here? Response rate. Right. That's the only thing they solve for is response rate. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is I don't want response. And this is something that, that I think just not enough people get or I've lost it, one of the two. I don't want response. Think about that, you're an email guy. I say to you, I don't want response. What's your reaction to that? You want, uh, you want true engagement. I want engagement. You know what, I don't even want engagement. I want engagement from the right person in the right way. Right? Yeah, right, absolutely. And, and so, and I, um, about a year ago, I was talking with Ryan, our, our VP of sales services, um, you know, and he had come from the whole um, uh, Aaron Ross predictable revenue, nothing, nothing against predictable revenue, but, but Ryan was the, you write a short email and he came in and our emails are probably on average, our, our, our outbound cold emails are probably on average about 140 to maybe as much as even 210 words. Now I got to tell you the fact that we talk about emails being, you know, 140 word emails being long. I, I, I you should have been back in the day when emails first came out. 140 words wasn't even the opening paragraph. Um, but, and I, and I have a comment on short content in a second. Um, but he's like, look, you know, these emails are way too long. And I'm like, well, why do you say that? Just, he goes, well, let's do an A-B test. I'm like, okay, what are we going to A-B test? Well, you send out your way, I'll send out my way. We'll see who gets a better response rate. And so I said, well, well Ryan, what if you get a better response rate but a lot of your response isn't really, you know, doesn't go anywhere. Right. I don't yeah. want a response. I want a meeting, but I don't want a meeting. I want a qualified meeting, but I don't want a qualified meeting. I want a qualified meeting with the right. And, and, and so you go down this whole thing. So number one is they're only looking at response, but here's the second thing that they don't do. And this is something that, that I know you understand 
extraordinarily well because I think it's one of the one of the foundational points of your of your product, which is there's two types of opt-outs, right? Yeah. There's the physical opt-out and there's the mental opt-out and the mental opt-out is worse than the physical opt-out. 100%. And, and so, cause, cause when I mentally, you know, when I physically opt out, it's a, I don't even ever see, I didn't even think about it. I don't even remember when I physically opt out. I am making my, my brain has made the decision that you are irrelevant. And so I get this email and this person has lost 100% credibility forever. Instantly. And their company. Outright 100% total lie. Right? Outright. Um, and, and that has a devastating impact that no one will ever quantify. So, you know, every, like if you look at, I'm working on a blog post talking about some of the trends in, in sales development and where people are seeing data. And, and everyone is talking about lower connect rates, harder to get a hold of people. Well, well, why? Well, because you you're focusing on you're focusing on response rate and volume. So basically what you're saying is if I send out crap, I can make up for crap. By just sending out sending more, more volume. Yep. Right. Because I need X number of meetings, right? I need 50 meetings. So if, if I'm only getting, if my good, if, if my, you know, if this is only giving me five meetings, then if I just, if I can send it out at 10 X the rate, then I'll have my 50 meetings. But the fact that you just abuse, you know, 500 people are like, stay away from me. Now, the next time you go around, you've burnt your, you've burnt your addressable market. And, and what you're also doing faster and faster and faster of of just crushing your addressable market. And, and so the, the other part is it's not just you that's burning up your addressable market. This person, whoever the hell sent this, is burning up your addressable market. So when you send me an email like this, you, you have no credibility. If you send me a two-sentence, one-to-two-sentence, one-question, thank you, you're done, you could be 100% legitimate, I'm done with you. Because everybody else has burnt your market, right? Because... Yep. They took a short. So you buy this, you're taking a shortcut. You're getting crushed. You're getting totally burnt. Um, and 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 here's what you're gonna get. You're gonna get. You're gonna get the crap. Right. You'll get meetings, but you're gonna get the crap. Crap meetings. Yeah. Right. And that means that that you're. You're, you got um, to you got to continue to work harder and harder and harder and harder to not. You're going to go from having 50 qualified meetings to this new approach where you're going to have to have 300 meetings, or which means you're show up for 300 meetings to get. And and there, there's another thing that's interesting about this too, and I think that I think it's it's something that that the sales world and the marketing world as well doesn't get. And that is they don't understand opportunity, cost, and constraint. Um, I can do one thing at one time. 
like sales talent, that is our constraining, that, that is our constraining force. Now, this is built on the theory that the salesperson is the, is, is the bottleneck, is the constraining force. And so let's take email off of them. Let's automate it, create the illusion of personalization, create the illusion of customization. So now the salesperson doesn't have to do that. But now every response that you bring me, and, and by the way, the infograph is called the 72 stats to understand SEO in 2018. It provides a variety of useful information about the search engine, market leaders, algorithm changes, and upcoming SEO trends and tips. Now, you know what? That piece, that belongs on my website, right? I'm a legitimate prospect for this piece, assuming that there's any truth in what they're trying to, to provide to me. Right, well, they're, right, right. Yep. Okay, and so the problem is all the people that they get are the people who are like, oh my God, somebody went, you know, and, or, you know, all, they fall for these tricks, right? They fall for these tricks. Now I got to tell you, you know, some, the person that I talked to made the argument because I said to him, well, well, how's this work? You send this, you send this email. It's a bullshit email. You've never looked at anything. You don't, you don't know anything about the Baltimore Orioles. And he goes, well, you know what, what we do is we train our reps to be ready and this and this. And I'm like, okay, yeah, theoretically it all sounds really good and wonderful, but, but you tell me how many people take the shortcut to response and do the hard work to prep for that first response. I got to tell you, I know the people, you know what I learned about the people who take shortcuts? You know what they do at every step along the path? Take shortcuts. They take shortcuts, right? So, so anyway, so I'm a, I'm a legitimate prospect for this. If, if they had taken a little bit more time and thought, they could have easily, um, they, 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 they could have easily gotten my attention and, 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 and gotten, me be, gotten me to be interested in something. Um, but but so, they, so you bring in a lower quality audience, now my salesperson has to, has to talk to this person, which means that is time they can't talk to a higher quality prospect. So, so it's not just that your numbers are going down, but now I can't have these two meetings at the same time. So I have to hire another salesperson. Yep. Right? Even though technically this, this one salesperson has the capacity, right? The research shows that, 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 a typical high productive salesperson, like the highest productivity salespeople are spending 40, 45% of their time selling, which means they're spending 55 to 60% of their time not selling. They're spending 55 to 60% of their time not doing what you're paying them to do. And that's the high performing ones. The average is around 33%, which means most are probably spending only 25 to 30% of their time actually selling because I have to have this call. I have to log into the CRM. I have to take this step. I have to take that step. That means I can't have, so you got the opportunity cost. Then you have to hire another rep so that you can do two. Now you've got two people's quota, right? Cause you just doubled your cost and, and, and all these things come about and you realize that, the faster you go, the more money you lose. And, 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 and here's the sad thing. And I, and I actually, I actually do worry and I'm going to be called, I'm going to be called old. I'm going to be called stay off my lawn. Um, I'm going to be called a bear, but I, I, I'm increasingly feeling like I'm going to be one of those guys from, from uh, the movie, the big short, right. The Michael Lewis show. Cause, cause yeah. 
I remember when I first got into business and we first started doing um, shows for small businesses, one of the things that one of, one of the mistakes that small businesses always made, because they, they, they didn't understand their costs. Um, they would, you know, and, and, and small businesses win business because they provide greater service at, at, at below value cost. And they, they're able to do that because they don't have overhead, right? And that's why when you grow, you have problems. I don't, I don't mean to get on a tangent here. But what, what I used to say is, look, if, if it costs you $10 to make it and you sell it for $9, you're not going to make it up in volume, mm -hmm. right? And everyone used to laugh at that. But the reason that you laughed at that was because there was a lot of truth to it. And all of a sudden, when people began to actually understand, you know, manufacturing, this, this would have been the late 1980s, which is when the very leading edge of, you know, the mid to late 80s is when the leading edge of manufacturing began to realize that everything that they thought was true about manufacturing was wrong, that, that the more they pushed for efficiency, like sales is doing today, the more they were decreasing real throughput, creating huge liabilities and bankrupting their company. And so sales today is pushing for efficiency, right? Yes. Salespeople utilization, number of sales, you know, sales hours utilized, right? Efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. Um, and this is a key driver of that efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. And they're destroying their underlying structure there. And which is why, I mean, no one has been able to show me a company that's growing you know, the, the, when you get to the other side of something, it, it can change, but burn rates are getting, you know, cost of customer acquisition going up, up, up. Cost of service, up, up, up. Up, up, up. Customer success you, you, costs because, up, up, up. Because you're, you're, well, one, you're, even those customers that you're, you're, you're getting, some of them are going to be bad customers because you didn't do the upfront work. And by the way, we're, there, there's hard data about SaaS, which I know, which I know you're talking about. But this yeah. is true. If this is true for manufacturing companies, this is true yep. for professional services companies, and 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 there's a couple reasons to for it. Switching costs, we forget this. Switching costs for most business disciplines today is pretty close to zero. It's pretty damn close to zero. Yep. Right. Um. And so. We all know, like, so we win the business. We're, we're 13 seconds away by being replaced by somebody else. Right? Who's, who's you know, back in the old, old days, um, um, back, back in the old day, I'm sorry, I went to a, <laughs> back in the old days, you would build your product then you'd get to take a rest before you had to worry about the next iteration of your product. Well, well now, I mean, how many, how many software companies do you know today? They don't talk about shipping daily. They talk about shipping multiple times a day. Multiple times a day. Absolutely. Remember when Salesforce like totally revolutionized the world with a quarterly, like you're on yep. the winter version of Salesforce. <laughs> you're on the spring version of Salesforce, right? Remember they always I mean, a lot of the old school software companies are still in that world. But, but like, remember when that was like, oh my God, they, like, yeah, like, yeah, they yeah. were leased four they're times. They're, yeah, they're innovating so fast. Absolutely. How can, how can they do that? Um, and, 
and, and, and so all of these, so, so you, you, so service costs going up, margins going down, discounting increasing, all these things that we're seeing on this push of efficiency. And then we're jumping into buying these AI tools and so forth and all that to, you know, to, to quote unquote further drive efficiency when what we, when what we need to do is understand we have a process and development problem. We have a system problem. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to hide the, the, the frictions in the system. And then we're wondering why we're not getting outputs that we expect. Yep. Right. And, and I, I don't know when, but I think it's probably not a whole lot longer from now there are going to be an insane number of companies that wake up one day and realize, Oh my God. Oh shit. Well, they're not going to be, Oh shit. Oh fuck. <laughs> We've been selling our product for $9 and it costs us 10. Yep. Um, and we allowed, and you know what it is like this efficiency is building a Ponzi scheme. As long and and it's no different. I'm I'm scaring the crap out of myself right now. It's no different than than the banking crisis. As long as more people were refinancing, then we were able to hide the flaw in the process. The flaw in the, the flaw in the right. system. Yeah. And so the moment. So, but but the problem was that the first blip where the refinancing volume dropped. When all of a sudden people couldn't just use the, the fake increased value of their home to pay for the loan that they could not afford. Right? Remember everyone talking about, yeah, I just took $200,000 out of my house. Oh, my God, this is great. I took $200,000 out of my house and I'm paying less per month. Oh, me, and, me, and my buddy, me and my buddy bought a house in Bethesda for – Close to six hundred thousand dollars. I had to borrow nine grand from my parents to uh, put down the earnest money. I had to give them nine thousand back to my parents. But we had—I didn't have a pot to piss in. But I was young and like, hey, let's get on this. Now, luckily, we made a little bit of money on it. But well, and, and but you know, how many people took two hundred thousand dollars out? Hey, guys, drinks on me tonight. I just got—I just threw two hundred thousand dollars in my bank account. And then, right. oh wait, now this little and all that, right? Well, well, explain to me how that's any different right now. Right. I mean, so it's a great, it's a phenomenal analogy. It, it as really long is. as the volume of new money coming in is coming in to let me pay Greater the bill that's going out. Right. right? It, that then, then I can make everything hide, but I, but I got to tell you, trees don't grow to the sky. There's no such thing as riskless risk. Um, you gotta, you gotta stop. You gotta look and you gotta say, what is going on here? How do we build a solid business? And I get growth eats cash. I get it. I get negative cash flow is not necessarily bad. I get that. And, and here's what I love. I love when, when, when companies say, especially SaaS companies say, well, really, we're not losing money. Because we could stop on a dime right now. Fire half our staff and... You know, we would cut, and, and by the way, where would they stop? They would stop on customer acquisition, yeah. right? And we would be profitable. And then my answer to them would be, my, I'm sorry, my question to them would be, for how long? For how long? Because 
if you're not bringing in new business, where are you getting the money to justify spending on the back end improvement? And so that competitor down the street who's buying business and offering that new feature set or doing whatever. So if you don't keep doing that, if you don't run faster than, than that person, how long till your turn goes from, from what is probably 15%, but you've masked it to look like seven. Yep. From 15% to, and, and, and you know, here's the other thing that nobody gets about these, about these bullshit artificially low churn numbers. The reason the churn looks about, so think about this. If you have a 33% churn. Well, most of them don't even have the, a long enough, well, uh, a, a long enough backlog to say, or been in business long enough to, to, to really show. Hold on. That, yes, and you could have been in business for 10 years and you've got a bullshit churn. Because again, let's say that your churn is 33%, which you and I would agree, if you had a 33% churn in SaaS, you're dead. Right. Yeah. But if you're a 33% churn, that means you lose a customer. This customer has a three year life cycle is, is with you for three years. Yep. Right. It's funny because people don't realize that you say 33% to somebody think, Oh, well they must be gone in six months. And you're like, no, that's a 200% churn. <laughs> so, so, so here's my question. You have 50,000 customers. What percentage of the, of the, and you've been in business for 10 years. What percentage of those 50,000 have you gotten in the last three? What do you want to bet? 30%, uh, 40%, 50%? At least 50%, at least. Right. Which means, let's just say 30 to 50%, right? It means 30 to 50% haven't hit the point of three years. And so if, and, and if it's a 20% churn, then it's five years. So when you hit that point, the problem is not that, 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 that 10% churn even doesn't happen in an evenly oriented period. If you, hit, you, you come up against your big growth spurt and all of a sudden you lose 10% of your customers, but 30% of that group, right? Um, which is fine. So long as you're growing year, on the other end, right? You're as long as I'm bringing in more new business. So I've got to take everything that's going out the back door and bring my growth of new business. As long as that aspect of revenue or, or, or new customer base comes in, then, then I'll make money and, and I can make, and I can hide everything. And right. But the moment, the moment you get a blip, you don't even need a recession. This is what people miss. You don't need a recession. You just need a reduction in growth rate. Right? If we have a 20% reduction in growth rate, you're dead. There's so many examples of that going on. Like look at, and we, we can see it where we can see it clearly is in the stock in certain stocks in the market. And a, a perfect example of that is Tesla or not Tesla, but uh, GoPro. GoPro was a super or, or, hot. Or Tesla. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, we could use Tesla, but uh, I don't know. I don't want Elon Musk to hear this because I know he listens <laughs> and then start tweeting about me because then I'll be out of business. Like, you know, I don't know. Maybe right, I'm thinking about taking, uh, 
I'm thinking about taking. Imagine private. Private. Yeah, I'm taking a private. I've I've secured the funding. Right. <laughs> from the Saudis. Sorry, go. Oh. Uh, no, but GoPro was a super hot stock. Their growth rate was crazy. It was growing, growing, growing. Well, they burned through their addressable market. And they also weren't innovating in their product. Or they were trying to innovate in their products, but they, they, they made some bad choices. But they truly burned through their addressable market. If I've got a GoPro that's a year old or two years old, I don't need another GoPro. Yeah. And uh, I, I, you see that? I mean, th th this is what's called a bubble. And I don't know how we got from crappy AI email into the underlying structural, but that's what the Black Line podcast is, is really all about. Right. ADD. Well, but you know, I mean, it, it, it is this aspect of if you're trying, if you're running for a shortcut, it, it, it's going to trace down, down the road. At some point it's um, going to catch it. Absolutely. And, and, and so, so let's go to, let's go to number two. So there, there's a company that I was working with um, that provided and promised some predictable analytics related to content that's being created and it, it wasn't out, middle out compression there was some middle out compression it, it, it had a really good weissman score i mean we did we did um we did the due diligence we saw they had a strong weissman score um and i mean a really interesting powerful tool especially as an agency to be able to talk to clients about data-driven decisions um around what content to create and the style of content, and, you know, different things like that. And it turns out that the data set that they were using and the way they, they were putting that data set together, is just crap. I mean, I don't want to cool. get, I don't want to get into the details. I don't want to give away. I mean, at this point, I don't want to give away the company. Um, I am talking to their head of product next week about this, but, but my point is it has, and, and, and this is the, the danger of AI and the danger of tech. It, it is modern day snake oil. And what people forget is I guess at some point, I don't know when snake oil was a thing. I'm actually, I might Google that. Why do we call it snake oil? But at some point I assume snake oil was probably something people really wanted. And it turned out not to be that valuable. <laughs> I told you I can figure out as to why we use that term. But, but it is, I mean, it's beautiful. It's like everything you could ask for. It was fascinating. And, and in, in a call as we were finishing our test with, with the company, I was trying to explain to them. I'm like, look, I'm, I'm showing them where these, where, you know, I'm showing them specific examples of where the data is clearly leading to wrong, you know, that there's something wrong there. And they said to me, they go, well, that's unusual. Right. And, and so you want to guess what I responded to him? Hmm. I said, I said, well, you know, I said, you know, what was unusual. He said, what I said, uh, I said the 2009 banking crisis, that was unusual. <laughs> How about that? We're going full circle. Right. Well, now. Right. <laughs> and I said, you know what I'm talking about? He's a one. I'm curious what you have to say. And I, I, I'm all of a sudden realizing I'm probably talking to some 23 year old customer success kid. Um, so I'm like, do you remember the 2009 banking crisis? And he goes, oh, yeah, 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 of course I do. I go, okay, great. I said, do you know why we had that banking crisis? He's like, no, why? I said, because a whole bunch of strippers in Las Vegas own four or five homes 
because they could borrow, borrow, borrow and never have to show any income. And people and mortgage brokers were at strip clubs saying, hey, you want the money to buy a house and blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden one day they actually had to buy. Um, let's see. Hold on a second. Well, I'm ADD here. Um, and, and I said, and the reason for that was because the models that got built were, were algorithms that programmed and said, oh, well, if we do this and all that, it's still AAA. If read the big short, if you want to know why this all happened. Um, and, and the algorithms, the data set led you down a path that you didn't question the algorithm. You didn't question the data and it took you right off the cliff. Right. And so that's the second part of, of what, of, of the be, beware of people that manufacture antiques is about is there's all this stuff that's out there. Um, well, let me pause and say, Mike, because, because you deal with this, right? I mean, like, I, yeah, absolutely. all day, every day. So, so how, how does somebody take that? And man, I'm like, what, what, what's your take on it? Let's, let's go with that. So I think there's a lot of tech that is over promising under delivering. I think there's a lot of, you know, quasi, um, there's a lot of good marketing happening, but the products don't support the marketing. Um, I don't think people have enough case studies. I don't think they have enough um, like true areas that they can, that, that they can prove results, uh, et cetera. And here's the thing that I think people have to be careful about. And, and, and I think you need to follow the Warren Buffett rule of investing. Do you remember what that is? Uh, no. So, you know, one of, one of the famous things about Warren Buffett was Buffett never invested in his, one of his best friend's companies. He didn't invest in Microsoft. You know why? Hmm. Didn't understand the company. Yeah, right, right. If he didn't understand it, he, yeah, he, he wouldn't invest. And that's why he didn't, that's why he didn't invest in, in tech until very recently when he Correct. bought big positions in Apple because he Correct. probably understands Apple now because he's got an iPhone. Well, and, and it's also because Apple's become more of a consumer brand, which follows into yeah. his whole moat theory and, 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 and mm -hmm. everything else. And so the underlying tech is, is, is less of, but, but my point is like, you don't need to be an expert in the tech, but if you're going to rely on it, you need someone and you need to be able to understand what are the basic principles about it. And when you use this stuff, you have to take a scientist's mindset to the whole process and you know what scientists do because other i agree wholeheartedly and one of the reasons why you have to take a scientist mindset to it is it can lead you actually in a worse direction and then you're making decisions that are actually going to take you down the wrong path you a scientist doubts everything yep right there's nothing wrong with asking with what's wrong. And especially as we become more and more reliant on so-called data, you have to be looking at it from the perspective of how does this hurt me? This is why I was able to get my, when I worked at Merrill Lynch, I got my clients through two of the worst market performances of all time. And the reason was I never got into the crap investments it hurt me, by the way, on client acquisition because when the oh, it, it, absolutely yeah because I would always ask the question, how does this hurt me? 
what's the situation where if I take, if I follow this strategy, I get hurt. If you're looking at a strategy, if you're looking at a campaign, if you're looking at doing something and that person can't, and, and you don't have a clear answer of how do I know that I'm, that I'm getting hurt? What am I looking for? What are, what are those things? And there's not a clear answer for that. Then you need to stay away from it. Cause, cause I will, will, will finish on this. And it's a great Thomas Friedman quote. He said, Thomas Freeman said, you can jump from an 80 story building and for 79 stories, you can convince yourself you're flying. And, and you know, if, if you, if you've raised series B, series C, series, by the way, did you see someone just raise series E? Yeah. I don't know. There series, was a, yeah. Another series F now. Series I didn't even e. know there was a series E. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and here's the thing, right? Like by series E, <laughs> I feel bad for that. I, I think Uber may be at their series. But, but, but my point is that if, if you're that company that's in that space where, where, where you've got, you know, you, you've raised 50, 100, 200 million dollars, you know what? You're, you're in a place where people are going to probably keep pumping money into you because they, they, they need to salvage something out of it, if nothing else but most companies aren't in that place and they're the ones who are buying this crap and they're the ones who are working with advisors or agencies or other things who are peddling this crap because the agency doesn't understand it and it lets them go out and make it sound like they're doing some, you know, extremely awesome thing. And, and I always say this, how would you do it? Could you replicate, you can't do it at scale, but could you replicate what you're doing without technology. And if you don't know how to do it without technology, then you are not ready for technology. Yep. So Uber did raise the Series G. That was their latest round in February of this year. $72 billion valuation. But that's also a lot of funny money, I'm sure. The, Correct. Correct. the investors have all kinds of uh, rights and all that good stuff. None of the employees will make any money until the company uh, is worth like $90 billion. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So, Mike, I know you got to run. Our episodes, we're going to cut our episodes short a little bit today, which I'm sure our listeners are going, oh, my God, thank God. They probably, yeah, they probably stopped. <laughs> my, my, yeah, my, my mom's going to be happy that, you know, I actually um, got my wife to listen to a couple episodes, too. So, What she think? Um, she thinks you need to talk more. She, she, she loved it. She said, Mike, you didn't, she said, you didn't say anything, Mike. Like, it was great. Did she like it, though? Yeah, yeah, she did. Okay. All right, I know you got to go. Um, beware of people who manufacture antiques. Technology is an accelerator. It's not a creator. Right? Technology takes something that you've got when you've got the map figured out, when you've got the process and you've got things working, and you're like, okay, hey, now let's really ramp it up. That's when technology is the right thing to do. If you haven't figured it out, and you haven't made it work, and you're looking to technology to be the difference, you are most likely going to be disappointed. We'll leave you with that. Enjoy. We'll be coming out with, um, we've got some really good guests that we're lining up. So um, those of you that are sick and tired of listening to just Mike and I talk, we'll, we'll, we'll mix it up with some other people. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you or at least uh, talk to you in the next episode. Go Nats. Go Nats.